This is a new broadcast of the radical flu, the queer flu. We are queer and we are here. We are queer and we are here. We are queer and we are here. Este episodio está dedicado con mucho cariño a Eva González Sancho Bodero. The Radical Flu by Rose Hammer. A radio play in eight parts, produced in collaboration with Nutam and Radio Rakil, the world's oldest feminist radio station. The Radical Flu, Part 4 Oslo, the City of Free Love The Radical Flu is a radio play by Rose Hammer and part of Rose Hammer's National Episode series. Oslo, the City of Free Love is the fourth chapter of this radio play. We are in Arkeshvayen. Right in front of the Oslo Katolske Bispedomme, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Oslo. Casually strolling in the street, a group of important gentlemen exchange on art and politics, oblivious of the plague that is ravaging the city, the Spanish flu. These gentlemen, Gustav Wigelan, Edvard Munk, Martin Tranmel, and Johann Scharfenberg, are about to be hammered by the Bishop of Norway, Luxemburger Johannes Olav Fallis, for their decadent lifestyle. Characters Gustav Wigeland, sculptor Edvard Munk, painter Martin Tranmel, construction worker and socialist leader Johann Scharfenberg, racist, medical doctor psychiatrist, nationalist, lover of all the ancient Greek practices, except drinking, and Johannes Olav Fallis, born in Luxembourg and Catholic Bishop of Norway. The Radical Flu has been commissioned by Oslo Biennale with the kind support of Kyf Kio. Great 
Gentlemen's Group, Munk, Vigeland, Tranmel, and Scharfenberg, Falis, Johannes Olav, the Catholic Bishop of Norway, starts preaching ferociously. Great the site is ambiguous, very possibly it would be the street right in front of a church, and the priest enters the scene framed by the main door of the church. A good site could be the Oslo Katolske Bispedemme, the street being then Arkeshvayen. Plague, plague, plague. Every time plague appeared in history, it was to strike down the enemies of God. Ponder this well, my friends, and fall on your knees. If today the plague is among us, that is because the hour has struck for you. The good people need have no fear, but the evildoer, the sinner, has good cause to tremble. This calamity, the flu, was not willed by God. But too long this world of ours has been making friends with evil. Too long has it counted on the divine mercy, on God's forgiveness. Repentance was enough, you thought, eh? Nothing was forbidden. How easy and convenient for you, la bohème. You bunch of degenerates, anarchists, feminists, abortionists, onanists, communists, and psychiatrists. Yes, you, psychiatrists too, who pretend to know the soul. What the hell? Yes, you, bunch of outlaws. You thought, sin as much as you want. When the day comes, just repent in good time and all will be good. Ha. For a long while, God gazed down on this Oslo city with compassion. But he cannot wait any longer for you to change your sinful ways. And now he has turned his face away from us. And so we walk in darkness, in the thick darkness of this plague. Remember and behold, in the time of King Umberto, Italy was swept by plague too. The living hardly managed to bury the dead. And now, like then, the dead will surpass in numbers the living and you will be embraced by the dead. I think he's seen your paintings again, Munk. So here and now, your sinful life finally stops. Children of men, the fatal hunt is up in our streets today. See him there, that angel of the pestilence, shining like evil's very self. He is hovering above your roofs with his great spear in his right hand, poised to strike while his left hand is stretched toward one or other of your houses. Now I think he's seen your sculptures, Vigelan. Maybe at this very moment his finger is pointing to your door. And even now the plague is entering your home and settling down in your bedroom to await your return. Go home now and sin no more. Police! Silence! Now you are learning your lesson. The lesson that was learned by Cain and his offspring, by the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, by Job and Pharaoh, by all your prostitutes, Mary Magdalene, Jezebel, Rahab, Lilith, Felice. Felice. 
Silence, sodomites. You know what I'm talking about. Sodomites? Now this Jesuit is going too far. Maybe at this very moment, what his does finger that mean? is pointing to your door. Sodomite? The red spear crashing. A native of Sodom. I'd assume. Well, he's got this information wrong. Malus, I was born in Malhus. Come on, Martin. You know what he means. He means anal sex. A practice very popular in Sodom. How vulgar. Those practices belong to the hypocritical double morals of the bourgeoisie. I have no time for such nonsense. I have to build a revolution. Do not forget the women in your revolution. I wish I could. Rachel won't let me. But you know, my ideal revolutionary hero is always a man. Of course he's a man. <laughs> As Harry used to say, even the smartest of women always think with their sexual organs. Mary Magdalene, Jezebel, Rahab, Lilith. Do we gentlemen want a sexual revolution? Silence, monk. You have much to be silent about. Remember, 1905? 1905? What is this about? What do you mean by 1905? I demand an explanation, you Catholic Jesuit, PayPal minion! Get your Luxembourgish ass out of here and stop speaking about what you don't understand. Go! Go! What is this story of 1905? I'll strike that bastard down. I'll show him 1905! Calm, calm down. We better get Edward out of the way of the priest's flaming sword on, or he'll lose another finger. Let's you go. feminists, you communists, you sexual degenerates, you idol worshippers, you people of your time. What is the story of 1905? 1905, 1905. <sighs> but you have to go on and on about 1905. Bastards. Feel sick, feel ill, must lie down. Cannot fall asleep in that never-ending year. My dream of that horrifying year, 1905. Let me be, let me be. Do you haunt Mikey, me? You don't have to listen to this. <sighs> no. So, Vigeland, I can imagine that you are rather puzzled about this sodomite accusation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a man of the world. I was young when we all attended some Stratzenferkel in Berlin. And I can tell there you found men from Sodom and women from Lesbos. But what I want to know, what happened in 1905 that makes Munk go bonkers? Well, as these things go, it is far from clear. Do you know Ludwig Kasten, the painter? Yes. Munk painted his portrait in 1905. Big hat. Similar to the painting of Count Harry Kessler one year later. I see that you have studied your Munk. And yes... Harry and Ludwig may have had more in common than a big hat. Ludwig is a great colorist and a handsome man. Him and Munk were very close. Then, there was a fight. What on earth are you talking about, Scharf? There was no fight. It was a contest. I said I could shoot a cigarette off his mouth. He challenged me to do so. He stood there, smiling. A cigarette dangling from his mouth. He was brave and beautiful. 
as if it was immortal. As for me, it was madness. And I went mad. Monk! Wait! Let him go. Wait! Let him go. Maybe we should all go. Good day, gentlemen. Fragile masculinity. Always so entertaining to watch. Even Vigeland, who sees himself as an archetype of virility, has his peccadillos and... Well, he is a voyeur. A lot of action with the stone, but keeping human flesh at a distance. Handy in a pandemic. Of course, Freudian latent homosexuality is a concept I might disagree with, since it implies that something has to be awakened when in fact is always there. Yes, I am convinced. Homosexuality is a potentiality in all human beings under certain developmental conditions. And if you press me further, entering into the realm of personal opinion... It is the right option for any civilized male. Or female. But Munk is an interesting case. There is some unresolved question there with his mother, who died when he was just five. No loving female can fill that void. And this, combined with the brutality of his father, the nefarious influence of Hans Jäger, and his panic at emancipated women, make the perfect tormented genius cocktail. And friends, that is so fascinating to watch, as a psychiatrist and writer. Folie et genie. No, Vigeland is not mad. But then Vigeland is not a genius either. And Tranmel, he is a genius as well. Only he was born in the wrong social class. There are not a lot of geniuses in the working class. Nor in the female class. So instead of going mad, he turned out a Bolshevik. All these things to blame our mothers for. And Fallis. What to think of Fallis. We could probably call him Queen Bee. The flaming sword he's been threatening us with is an obvious phallic symbol, as the passion of Munk for shooting his own fingers and the cigarette in the lovely mouth of lovely Ludwig is clearly a substitute for castration. Because you know how the saying goes, abstinence is good, but castration is better. And then the plague. Munk thinks he had the flu. I think this was just another attempt to make his mother proud. He probably didn't. But this worries me. This worries me a great deal. You know, the problem with plague is that you don't believe it is happening until it is too late. Everyone wants to go on with their lives as before. They want to go on making plans, projecting into the future as before, until they are forced to accept that there is no future. The plague cancels the future, 
Munch and Oslo, La Boheme, the city of free love. They thought they were free, but no one is free when there is plague. Now there was a time when they used to say that behind every great man there had to be a great woman. You are listening to Radio Oracle, the world's first and best women's radio. This is Oslo, the city of free love. Great man. Part 5 of The Radical Flu by Ross Hammer. Ross Hammer is an artistic persona born two years ago in Oslo as a transgender internationale femme fatale speaking today from Barcelona and Oslo. Roshammer welcomes now El Palomar, an artist collective based in Barcelona. So we are, we are El Palomar. El Palomar is me, uh, that I am Mario Kisni, and uh, er, er, Rafa Marcos Mota, R. R. Marcos Mota. Uh, and yes, uh, and we are here to, to talk with you. We work on queer genealogy, art production, and uh, we are very focused on create a queer scene and to uh, engage queer artists to produce and to organize and to meet together and to share their works and uh, to create new possibilities for queer artists to empower their work and to get better access to art institutions. El Palomar presented at the recently closed 11 Berlin Biennial the installation Schreber is a Woman. The installation, including a film and a documentation table as queer archive, departs from the case and memoir of Daniel Paul Schreber, a German judge confined to the Sonnenstein Mental Asylum in Saxony, Germany, in 1894. Uh, we uh, start our interest in uh, Schreber's case uh, years ago with other uh, investigations. Um, very related with uh, queer memory and queer heritage in arts and culture. Uh, we was investigating in uh, 2015 uh, uh, about Alberto Cardin, who was a, a theorist and anthropologist and queer activist based in Barcelona. And uh, when he died, uh, he um, couldn't write about some topics that he showed interest in life. Uh, one of these topics was Schreber's case. And this culminates in the last work that we presented this year on the Berlin Biennale called uh, Schreber is a Woman. 
In his memoir, On My Nervous Illness from 1903, Schreber recounts feeling like a woman, among other experiences. The Schreber text influenced Sigmund Freud and helped him to elaborate his theories on paranoia and schizophrenia. So in our work, uh, we didn't want to uh, analyze it more, but uh, uh, go through it uh, with a more sensitive and uh, fictional perspective. Uh, we wanted to um, approach to the delusions uh, that Schreber had about feeling as a woman and having uh, sexual drives that in the memoirs were described as very uh, traumatic feelings of very um, feeling, feelings that as he was writing this book to be realized, real, re released in, in, in Liberty. Uh, he was denying them and he was uh, um, um, blocking them and, and, and repeat, repeating about them that um, they are bad. Uh, there is a lot of writing about Schreiber, but, uh, but not from a queer perspective, you know? And, and that was our mission, uh, uh, trying to, to, to empower him. No, into a woman, because in this case it's uh, it's happened today. Uh, for sure, no, he have another um, experience um, about to be a trans woman or a queer person or or, or a non-binary person. No, oh, our portrait of Shriva uh, in Shriva is a woman uh, is more like. Um, psychological uh, portrait, but not uh, in an academic way again, uh, but uh, from a, like if, if we was in a, inside of one of Shriver's delusions and we were living her fantasy as a woman or becoming a woman and enjoying uh, her sexuality and uh, enjoyment with other visions and bodies uh, in this place, but that it's not real, but it's uh, part of her reality as perceived. So um, I think it's interesting what you started uh, telling about Munch being uh, gay, but linking it as being a genius and being an artist. And uh, I think part of the question is uh, that being non, uh, having your sexuality and your uh, self-expression non-aligned with uh, what society expects you to do and to be, uh, makes you a, 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 an, exception, an exemption and this can be different ways to be an exemption. Uh, one is to be a genius, uh, but also can be to be damned uh, or uh, to be uh, under trauma experiences. But um, I think this relate uh, hidden a bigger uh, 
a reality about it that it's uh, that it's society itself that uh, writes these uh, narratives. So uh, being uh, homosexual, transsexual, non-binary, etc., uh, it's not an exemption. There are parts of our reality, but society doesn't uh, accept it. Still, still now doesn't do it. So uh, institutions continually and repeatedly uh, make narratives like the exemption, uh, uh, like there must be any reason for you to be like this, and there must be a, a starting point to you to become this. But um, I think this is problematic. This is so problematic, and um, psychoanalysis took part of these narratives, uh, relating trauma with uh, different sexual drives, non-heterosexual. Uh, sexual drives and different self-expressions and maybe mm, this can be right but uh, I think it's it's right for everybody not for only for homosexual and transsexual and non-binary people everyone is related to trauma in different way and different perspective uh, when Shriver wrote about schizophrenia uh, from a book that it's the memoirs of Shriver, also write it about Oedipus syndrome, that it's like a, a big genealogy about uh, how homosexuality is related to trauma and with the same as you were uh, telling, an authorita authoritarian father and uh, an absent mother. And this formula repeats again and again and it appears in pop culture recently, and it's like a, a, a really um, capitalistic uh, formula that uh, it's used in a different uh, purpose, but makes this uh, state of exemption that um, I think doesn't appeal to these realities because these realities are part of the society, not as uh, exemptions, but also as part of the, the society it's it's i can i can tell more it, maybe it's the society this society that created that creates this uh these uh, approaches these ways to understand this question this question these questions that uh maybe can uh put more trauma and problems and non-acceptance ways to approach our identities and sexual drives uh, that are relating us to traumas. Maybe it's the opposite way and not the cause effect, but vice versa. I don't know if I'm explaining, but I think yeah. that this is part of the question. Great man. Man. 
l'influenza radicale. Radicale, sì. Beniat per schimari. La grippe radicale. Radical flu. The radical flu. Many thanks go to El Palomar for being with us today. Welcome as a guest, Kari Weiteberg, Bishop of Oslo in the Church of Norway. Now there was a time when they used to say... Weiteberg is graduated in Lutheran theology from the Faculty of Theology at the University of Oslo. In 2006, she became doctor in theology with a dissertation, Kunsten o Framföre Gutestenester, The Art of Performing Worship Services. She also holds a degree in theatrical science from the Department of Music and Theatre at the University of Oslo. We could not have a better Samtale partner to discuss contemporary art and LGBTQA plus rights from the point of view of the church with some surprising and powerful statements. Thank you for the question. It's, it's, uh, we could talk for hours about this uh, and things are also happening in the church. Um, you introduced me as, the, as a bishop and I'm, I am the Bishop of Oslo and uh, it's now the third year that I'm a bishop in Oslo. And before I was a bishop, I worked on the streets uh, as a chaplain, but I also have a, a degree where I used performance art. So, uh, so I'm very privileged to talk with you because I also have an interest in contemporary art and uh, especially as a performer myself earlier in performance mm -hmm. art. Uh, what has been important the latest year when the church is talking about art and contemporary art is to say that the church is art. I mean, there are artists in the church. The church buildings are galleries in itself. And, uh, and when we use uh, music, sound, text, we, we do contemporary art. Even if we would uh, play a, a Bach or, or sort of an older piece, it, it gets contemporary because it's played now in a way. Um, we also uh, uh, have uh, taken a stance in our uh, policy through our national meeting that uh, we don't talk about church and the art, but we talk about church is art. And we don't want to, to use art as a pedagogic thing, like something is an illustration for something. It's, uh, so I think that artists and also art theory has influenced us in a way that that art is contemporary it happens when it happens it, it doesn't have to be something behind if you understand like this stands for this so um, there are um, in my diocese in the Oslo diocese there has been a, quite a lot of artistic work during Passion and Easter we call it Passion and Easter, and it has been contemporary artists, uh, um, um, a lot of people writing fresh texts for, for this season, and it has been performed inside and outside church buildings, on ruins, and uh, it has also been uh, contemporary dance and other productions mm. that sort of has uh, collab col collaborated and uh, worked together, especially around this season. 
So that's one, uh, one uh, thing. Another thing is uh, something that is situated in the Church of Jacob, Jakobs Kirchen, that is a church that is sort of set free <laughs> to mm -hmm. work with the art and the different uh, art thing. And there is a center called Kult, that is um, church and culture. Um, uh, yeah, Kult, is, it's, it's, a, it's abbreviation. I can send you more specific, or if you listen to me, I just uh, would suggest that you looked into that because they have worked with different things lately. One thing is the tea houses that takes part in libraries around in the, in the city and that's launched by this cult. And where Erik Hillestad and, and the staff down at the Jacob Church, they especially want to have a dialogue as the focus and also to, uh, to highlight, uh, uh, highlight uh, poets and other uh, songs and others from uh, like Iran, uh, Afghanistan, um, uh, countries in the Middle East that, that maybe are not in, in the front. Uh, uh, so it has been a lot of co-production with uh, also with some uh, women in, in Iran, I know. You can just, there are, this, this is CDs, but it's also taking place live, like in, 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 the, like in form of inv invitation to tea, and then there is a dialogue, and then there are artists doing something. And, and this is something that I think is, is good to lift up, and I think it's fruitful. But it can al always be more. And also, uh, there should be a contemporary dance connected to the dance in black box, something going on mm -hmm. in the church now, I know. But of course, we, we are also um, in a pandemic time now. So we sort of, we don't want to close, but we have to think different. Hmm. Is that an answer? Just continue to ask, please. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful answer. Thanks very much. Thank you. How can you explain that Christian church, other Christian churches, such as the Church of, church of Norway, uh, open their arms uh, to the LGBT community, and even if the Pope uh, does, uh, apparently shyly tries to uh, open that door, uh, people, the other, um, how you say, um, oligarchy of the of the church, of the Catholic Church, keeps pushing that close, mm -hmm. can't admit uh, even the possibility of the existence of the LGBT community? This is uh, like the $1 million question. <laughs> it's a $1 million question and this is also, uh, we could talk about it for hours, uh, but I, I ju just as I answered uh, the other question, thank you for the question, it's important and it's something that I really want to highlight. And I could say the same to this, just to start that to the other, I don't talk about church and LGBT, Plus, because there are so many in the church and also among uh, the people on, on our pay list working as, uh, we say, would say pastors, we don't say priests, but let's, let's use the word priest. I have a lot of LGAB plus priests working in the, in the Norwegian church that, that before was a state church, but now we call it the Norwegian church. Um, it used to be 80% of the Norwegian in this church, but now it's decreasing and that's, that's okay. We are, a, we are a society with a multitude now, different faiths. 
but back to your questions so but that has that has just um, made me aware of that um, my yeah some of my best friends that really taught me christianity and also a lot of people that are active in the church sitting in, in the pew and and standing behind in front of the altar are lgab plus and what then about our sisters and brothers in other communities? Well, there is a reason why I'm in this Lutheran church. We now celebrate 60 year of women as priests in this church. So even if I would like to be in other tradition, it has to be what, what tradition and what confession can, can give me space. Yeah. And uh, so I just, but we, hopefully we see other churches also follow if if we could use that word and i have very good relations with a lot of catholic brothers and sisters and of course uh, some of them are also uh, if not openly you know so there are get both gay and, and lesbians and, and be in every faith tradition and uh, this has to be do about culture this has to be do about openness but of course i'm in favor of that people should be proud of their how they identify themselves and this is really on the agenda i don't know i don't want people to live in the closet but i understand that for someone it has a matter of survival so um so this is just something um, maybe if if we are open and provide and say to our to, to the one that are working in our church that we can be open i hope we it can be some space and some possibilities also for others to be open and there are community also in in the church tradition that you refer to that is that it's okay to be open it's just it's just like we find yeah you know you can be a community and you can share your feelings and thoughts in in different ways so i don't want to I cannot dictate others. I just uh, know that uh, if someone wants to to talk with me or or ask further question, I'm always open to to answer it. Was that a was oh, that as well? Uh, a wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful, a, a wonderful answer. I was uh, it makes me very curious to uh, about the Church of Norway and to um, to know more about it. Okay. So. All I have to say is uh, a lot of thanks, and uh, um, I will L'influenza radicale, radicale, sì. Beniad per spiemari. La grippe radicale. Radicale influenza. The radical flu. The radical flu. Radicale grippe. So we're coming out of the kitchen, cause there's something we forgot to say to you. We say, sisters are doing it for themselves. My name is Ada Kestel. Uh, I'm a nurse in the ambulance in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, I'm also an artist, um, working with uh, performance and video and among other uh, the theme of uh, anarchic healthcare or anarchist nursing so people were calling because of the covid and or because of fear of the covid and uh, and people were ill i mean i had people uh, born in this uh, 1970s being really really sick and uh, yeah even younger mm -hmm. uh, doing CPR and so on on, on young people.
so that was rough and and now it's coming back so yeah ada kestel yeah sure that's fine i say i say well ada kestel yeah, yeah. so anarchist nurse and i was wondering uh, what that exactly means yeah or, or, or to be precisely i'm i'm an artist um, yes. working with a, with a anarchic care as a theme uh, right. And, so it's and, not, uh, anarchic care is the is the term. Anarchic yeah, care. or anarchist nursing could also work. Yeah, of course. Uh, but I'm I'm interested of the notion of um, of anarch anarchic healthcare in this sense because the, the, it it could be mean uh, quite much. Uh, and and of course there is uh, like the the healthcare uh, provided by anarchists like um, street medics in, in demonstrations or, or, um, or healthcare in what could have been closest we had to a anarchist society, uh, Spain, Barcelona during the uh, Spanish uh, revolution, 1956, mm -hmm. um, for a couple of years. Um, yeah, of course, I, I agree. It, it, the, the neoliberal society has not proven, uh, I, I think, uh, to manage this in, 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 a, in a proper sense. Uh, so I think for, for many, the idea of, of, of centralized uh, state healthcare or economic uh, distribution uh, is could be could be popularized um, in in the in the afterwaves of this, I, uh, and and in 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 somewhat sense even for myself, even if that um, is is not um, is not in in the in the uh, in the line of of ideas about uh, anarchist society or anarchist healthcare either, um, but. But in, in the system we have, uh, I, I think, uh, a, a more state-centralized uh, uh, responsibility for, for this kind of crisis would, would uh, have been more effective. If a universal basic income was in place, then people who could have avoided this situation of risk, and therefore it would have been much easier to control the pandemic. So is this something that is discussed in uh, in uh, in Sweden, uh, and is this something that you maybe have some uh, vision upon or uh, opinion? Yeah, yeah, I I am I am uh, since since uh, long uh, I, I know about the idea, and uh, it's I think it's really interesting, uh, and I think it's also interesting that it's coming up now during this pandemic, uh, and uh, yeah, of course. Um, uh, I, I think it's interesting what it would have done, uh, as you say, to to prevent people from um, feeling forced to go to to work where they otherwise could have stayed at home, even though they're sick. Uh, but I'm also interested in what it would happen with like cultural life and mm -hmm. the ability for people to fulfill what they. Um, um, yeah want to do with their lives and this would have a great impact uh, a huge a huge impact of, of how um, social life would be 
involved? Yeah, yeah. There was this discussion uh, early in the pandemic that there was a disproportionate uh, amount of immigrants uh, being being sick in the COVID nineteen, and and um, I think it was especially uh, some Somalic. Uh, um, people from Somalia and north of Stockholm, and uh, and it, it was this quite uh, racist ideas of of uh, them not knowing the language and being able to to take um, part of information about restrictions or maybe even less uh, or even more so racistic ideas of not uh, maybe not. Uh, taking them seriously or something like that um, but I, I think it's important to see that of course um, on, a, on a popular uh, population level uh, it has to do with um, with uh, economic uh, economic situation and uh, as you say the, the precarious um, job situation forcing people to go to work even though they're slightly sick and um, being so poor so maybe uh, living uh, in close uh, many people in, in small apartments and so on and, and, and that has has always to do with mm -hmm. with the economic situation rather than, than heritage yeah that's that's a really existential existential uh, threat not to be able to to uh, pay your yeah rent or or food or whatever uh, pay for your children or so on so that that increases um, one of the easiest ways to to generally um, decrease mental illness would be by handing out money in, in that sense of of um, general income um, um, it, it even, as I understood, even this is, has a greater impact than medicine and, and other uh, therapy and so on. Uh, having a secure economy is, is, is a baseline for, for, for um, mental health uh, on, on a broader spectrum. So I just have to say thanks a lot, Ada, for making this available. It was a, a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much. Ciao. Bye-bye. Yeah, Have a very Ciao. nice afternoon. Ciao. Standing on their own two feet and ringing on their own bells. Sisters are doing it for themselves. Now, a cautionary tale about structural racism in Norway by Kio Ajit Prop Group. Ole is sitting at the kitchen table, scrolling away on his computer, checking his email. Sylvie, Norwegian dragon, is cruising around the kitchen. Sylvie, someone wants to rent our hotel for Christmas. We're gonna earn some money. I don't see where he's from. Oh, he's from Poland. Oh wow, why on earth he wants to spend Christmas in Norway? Maybe he's not Christian. He's from Poland, the country of John Paul II. Of who? Never mind, but you, Sylvie, should really keep up with our times. Being a giant reptile doesn't excuse ignorance.
Nothing really interesting is happening in our times. I miss the Viking life, all the adventures on the boat, the cold sea water, the fog, the fair. I love that so much. Hmm, what to do? Raymond said about Poe's importing the virus in Norway. It is all over the news now. Nowadays, you can't travel, so he has to live here. Norway let only labor workers in, not their families or friends. Don't worry. Well, they can be labor workers who just arrived. Ugh, true. Then say no. Don't accept them. Yes, but we could earn some money. Besides, it would be slightly unethical, you know. What are you talking about? You are always ethical and tolerant. You had guests from India, Spain and Sweden. And this time, it's not about being open-minded. This time, your health is on stake. Besides, you know how Polish people like to drink. I like to drink. They are barbarians. No, stop it. It's all wrong. You are xenophobic. He's probably xenophobic. And homophobic himself. You could at least raise the price twice. And then, if he has the money, he will get it. If not, he has to look some other place. Actually, that's a pretty decent idea, Sylvie. Yes, sometimes it's better to leave some things to the gods. We're back live from Radio Rakel and Oslo. Rosehammer has the pleasure of inviting artist Silla Storhille to be with us live today. We will let Silla introduce herself. Please, Silla. Okay. Sorry, in English. Um, my name is Silla Sturile. I'm a visual artist uh, now based in Oslo. I work with moving images and publishing, and I've also been running the queer feminist platform Frank since 2012. Um, it is a project I've been running together with Lee Bugge, um, a fellow artist, and we're now actually closing that down with a book that will be published in the beginning of the next year. Um, I'm happy to be here on the show. I can't hear you. Yes, here I am, live. These are the things of life. Uh, so, Sile, um, uh, thanks for being with us. Uh, as uh, I was saying, uh, for me, uh, to get to know Frank uh, was to uh, think that before Frank, there was nothing related to uh, queer artistic communities, uh, communities. There was something with Frank, and now that Frank uh, is coming to an end, as I understand, mm -hmm. will go. Will we go back to the desert? That means it's again nothing again. Please tell <laughs> us uh, a bit about the about that journey. Uh, yeah, I think we also had the feeling that there was nothing, but I don't think that there was nothing. I think there was an absence, and we came 
we were three people at the beginning in 2012, which met um, in Oslo. It was Sinove Gevet and Libuk and myself, who had all been living outside of Norway and came back uh, to Oslo and realized that there wasn't a queer feminist discourse that we felt we could engage in, and especially not in the art scene. So there was an absence for sure, but I do think that the, it's more about the narratives and sort of how the various um, stories are being told or not told about what has been before us. Um, I think we're not returning to a desert after we're done because I think many people are now entering a different discourse than um, there, there are many others that are now working on similar things that we were working on. But back in 2012, there wasn't even a, like a queer archive in Norway, which, so we worked a lot on like tracing certain queer gen genealogies and sort of rediscovering sort of historic uh, times. And actually it was interesting listening to this and like uh, the radical flu and thinking about like 1918 or the times around that, because this also brought us back to, or brought me back to uh, 2013. We were asked, uh, this is not open in a way, I think we haven't spoken about this, but we were asked back then to respond to Oka's exhibition for the Venice Biennial, and they were doing a show on Munch, and they asked us, and I think Leanne Berg, to come up with a proposal. We had been working for six months, and we didn't know what we were or what we were doing, but we sort of started diving into Munch, and not necessarily his um, his persona or his his works, but more the the thinking around the community around him and some sweats and Ferkel and so on. So, listening to this, it was interesting, and I kind of also before this uh, interview now, I was kind of revisiting and reading up on what we were interested in and, and kind of thinking about Martin Hischfeld and his institute um, and so on. So, yeah. So what did you discover about Munch? Something that, we, <laughs> something, that, something that we don't know? No, I don't think so. I, I think, as I said, that we actually handed in a very shitty proposal. And uh, because, <laughs> and it would, have been, it would have been the end of Frank, because Frank was all about like Oslo and discovering um, what we could do within, what was queerness in a Norwegian perspective? What was it here? Like, uh, because I had lived in the US, um, Liv had been living in Stockholm and also in Berlin. So, it was it was it really needed to be grounded in a specific place and but similarly to what was going on then I think there was a lot of kind of also others that inspired us like Natalie Barney thinking about the salon and this what we were interesting interested in and what we started with was a salon and this interest in the semi-public or the semi-private that was that were the kind of spaces we didn't encounter which could hold a certain like meeting with strangers, but in a home, thinking about intimacy, sort of the erotic and like, uh, we also joked about it being a dating platform. This was before, um, but it was this kind of, yeah, shared meeting. And um, then Frank kind of developed and, and moved into different phases according to our sort of sense of urgency and also our position and uh, yeah, within the field. Yes, so Frank, uh, I can't help, but can you please tell me why is it called Frank? <laughs> this is like the most, uh, this is the most common uh, question we get. Uh, and I was looking up this uh, kind of, yeah, it was, I mean, it's also, it's hard to give a, a, a child a name before you get to know it, but Frank kind of held this. It was like 
to be frank, it was an adjective, mm -hmm. like it was to be open, honest, direct in speech or in writing. And I think this was a kind of essence that we uh, uh, kind of wanted to aspire to at least. And then in, in Norwegian, you would see fri or frank or like um, frei und frank as in German, um, mm -hmm. which also I think comes from like uh, the Franks, the French Franks, like uh, that had like full freedom. Um, in yeah that were like separate from uh from society so it, it kind of held many things of course it's also like a very mask macho name yes <laughs> so yeah uh, and i'm still kind of happy with that uh with it being yeah because it's also we don't say what we are we are like it is us but it's also us it's also like a vibe or an initiative it has many kind of faces yeah in my perspective, it feels a bit like uh, Frank was a bit like opening uh, windows and letting uh, fresh air come in. I was just wondering what kind of reactions you have to Frank in the Oslo art circuit or from the Oslo art circuit. Yeah, I think what happened quite early was that after the Salon, there was a lot of interest. As I said, uh, Uka was interested uh, with Marta Kusma being the leader at the time. Uh, but then we also kind of grew into this position of being the ones that were supposed to to respond to all these different uh, anniversaries. It was the women's right to vote, the 100 year anniversary in 2013. It was the de decriminalization of homosexuality in 2012. That was like 1972. That was when Norway decriminalized uh, male homosexuality. So it was, I think we got this position very early on um, to kind of respond to these uh, various anniversaries so there was a lot of positive efforts but also a lot of questioning what is what does queer mean and also to i think what what kind of became challenging for me and maybe also for lee was also that it kind of the notion of what frank was became fixated which was uh, not our intention and like for us, queerness was, or queer was a tool, an instrument uh, in like terms of questioning things. And very often it was read as a sexual identity, um, mm -hmm. which would limit what we are and what we wanted to do. And like the kind of, the more the, the power of Frank in a way. <laughs> so, but all in all very sort of, yeah, I think we were very much embraced early on. And and now that we've decided to, to end the project, it, um, I think, it, a project like Frank and I, as with many other projects is all about urgency and this kind of need to to keep the fire going and um, now our urgencies are elsewhere but Frank continues in us and I hope also in others. Um, yeah. So I, I understand that you feel that others have taken the heritage or the legacy of Frank to continue <laughs> what's uh, what's in future for for you, for instance. Uh, I. I'm working on my own projects where Frank also, I think for me, I, I was straight out of my master's um, when I started Frank. And I think for me, Frank is was a way to kind of become an artist. It was a way of overcoming many of the different issues of, of how, how to become an artist, who you, did you want to be in contact with and so on. So for me, it's like focusing on my own um, artistic research and work, and then also to be an educator as well, which I am, um, so yeah. Okay, that's up. Our time is up. Thanks so much, Sile. Look you. forward to seeing you on the other side. <laughs> yes. Goodbye. Ciao. Yeah.